If you have a lot of clutter, extreme clutter, if you hoard, whatever it is, I want you to think about standing in the middle of your clutter or near it and simply ask yourself, what is really going on here? And then wait a second. Listen. Mm. Listen. So you don't just ask the question and say, oh, my gosh, what's going on here? I need to. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. What is really going on here? Take a few, what, 30 seconds and wait for an answer. Welcome to Spark Joy, the podcast dedicated to celebrating the KonMari method and the transformative power of surrounding yourself with joy and letting go of all the rest. With your hosts and certified KonMari consultants, Kristen Ivey and Karen Sochi. And now, here's the show. What does your clutter say about you? Today, we are going to explore our relationship with clutter that clutter that cre- creeps up in our home, around our waistline, within our relationships, and even sometimes in our mind. To help us sort all of this out, we've invited Dorothy Brenninger to Spark Joy. Dorothy, the organizer, is known to millions as the fearless yet enduring problem solver on A&E's Emmy-nominated hit TV series, Hoarders. She is the author of seven books, including Stuff Your Face or Face Your Stuff. Dorothy is featured in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, O Magazine, and she also appears on the Today Show, Dr. Phil, The View, The Doctors, QVC, and PBS. So she's such a busy woman, but she's also an awesome organizer. So we really wanted to have her on the show to talk to our listeners. And we're so happy that she's taking a moment out of her day to spark joy with us. With that, welcome to Spark Joy, Dorothy. Yay! I'm right here. (laughs) I'm thrilled to be here. I love Marie Kondo. I love what she does. I love what you're up to. So thank you. Awesome. Well, Dorothy, you have such an interesting background. And here at Spark Joy, we love to talk about transformational experiences that involve confronting clutter. And that clutter can be in the home, in the mind, or in the body. And in your book, Stuff Your Face, Face Your Stuff, you mention that you had three life-changing experiences that taught you how to manage your clutter. So we'd love for you just to start off by kind of sharing that with our listeners. Oh, sure. Sure. I did have three experiences. I I don't want folks to think that I was a master clutter bug growing up. That was not the case. Uh, I've always had this organized way about me, and I was a gymnast all through high school and college, so I had a lot of repetitive, perfectionist uh, attributes before I became an organizer. But Even so, we all have stuff. And the first experience that I noticed for myself was when I was 31 years old, I spent a year traveling around the world. You know, went with a friend of mine uh, before I got married to my husband, and she and I just traveled with a backpack. And everywhere we went, everyone was so happy and they had less stuff. So that was the first thing I really noticed. And then the second experience I noted was much more personal. I was divorced by that husband. (laughs) Maybe he should have gone on the trip with me. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But um, right afterward, he he left me in $360,000 in debt. 
So I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had just started my organizing business. This was about 20, more than 20 years ago. So I sold everything. I sold my condo and everything in it. And I used whatever money I had left to pay for a PR firm so that I could become known in this organizing business. And it took, it was a big risk, but I noticed I got rid of the stuff so that I could create something bigger for myself. That was a big deal. Yeah. And then the, uh, the third thing that I noticed, uh, it hit me front and center, which was when I started filming the show Hoarders. And uh, well, actually, it was in the third season. And hoarders are people who would just have too much stuff and don't want to throw things away, right? And mm-hmm. so I'm on this show, and I'm 200 pounds. And I'm short. So to be 200 pounds and carry all that weight while you know, going through these hoarded homes was very, very difficult. And I had gained that weight because I was doing serious caregiving for my sister who had stage four cancer. So I was working full time on hoarders, caregiving at night, and then eating at the very, very end of the evening or late at night. So it was it was a real vicious cycle. So those three things really transformed me. And I, I kind of say people hoarded stuff in their homes but I was hoarding sugar and flour on my body. And that's where I noticed the correlation. And that's why I wrote the book. You know, it seems like America is not only looking to live with less, but they're also looking to live with less on, on their body as well, less food, less unhealthy food. They're looking at that relationship between food and um, just the way we're we're living and how we feel is more food making us happy is more stuff making us happy <laughs> ultimately not really mm-hmm. right and so I, I call this kind of the the less is more movement so things like Kanmari and minimalism have have emerged from this and there's been documentaries and studies around our relationship with clutter uh, but also there's been a lot of um kind of this the spotlight is shining on our relationship with food so the documentaries like Forks Over Knives or this newest one, What the Health, is is now both on mm-hmm. Netflix, and we'll make sure to include those in the show notes. Um, but it's interesting that these two trends are kind of happening uh, at once, and you break down that food versus stuff relationship very well uh, in your book. And, and considering the current state of affairs, like where are we heading? Is there, is there any hope for us for kind of letting go of clutter <laughs> either around our waistlines or in our home? <laughs> well, Isn't it interesting that, and I think you have a brilliant question, isn't it interesting that we're looking to to stuff to decide where we're going as a society? So let, let, let me say that the phenomenon of hoarding has not peaked yet. Now, this is not the only thing that I do. You know, I do a mm-hmm. lot of uh, work with celebrities here in Hollywood, just organizing their homes. I do a lot of life coaching for people, organizing their thoughts or their jobs or their relationships. It's pretty great work. But regarding the stuff and hoarding, it means that we are actually teetering near 14 million people who hoard. So wow. dis- Despite the popular television shows that show tiny homes and an obvious trend toward minimalism, there's still an extraordinary popularity and 
uh, you know, what do I want to say? Marie knows this. Marie Kondo is is our most popular organizer on the planet, right? right so right. even with her and what she does, there is a segment of our population who hoards to manage their feelings of anxiety and past trauma. So, mm-hmm. you know, I am seeing a, a similar pattern with health and food. That was one of the questions you asked. So more and more people are becoming aware of how harmful and sugar and flour can be. That's what, you know, these uh, documentaries that you mentioned uh, are all about. Documentaries are flooding the marketplace, yet there's still a certain segment of our population. They're just not overweight, but they're dangerously obese. And in in terms of your question as to whether there's a relationship to food and stuff, oh, yes. I mean, here I write the book, Stuff Your Face or Face Your Stuff. And I'm saying that they are both thought to temper our feelings and discomfort. Mm. So in both cases, the activity of either overeating or hoarding, they're completely destructive to ourselves and those around us. Yet that's what we use as a tool to cope. Many would call both compulsive eating and compulsive hoarding an addiction. So those are my thoughts. And I don't see it getting any better right now. I see that there's a big split. There's a big disparity between the two groups of people. I had mentioned earlier in our conversation that I started my my life as a clinical psychotherapist or my professional life as a clinical psychotherapist. And I, I dealt a lot with addictions. Um, and I'm really interested in to hear what your thoughts are about this idea that, that food addiction, although it's definitely classified as an addiction, it's different in some ways in some of the other addictions, such as alcohol or shopping or um, other compulsive behaviors. What are some of your thoughts about that? Well, it's, it's interesting, Karen, because I, I see food addiction uh, as very similar to all of the other addictions. You know, I see that bottom line because, well, I can say this for myself because I am a food addict. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I eat. If I don't do a program that takes care of myself, then I just, I can't stop myself. So bottom line, when I was eating, I could not stop the impulse to eat or I couldn't stop the future thought to consume when I was having cravings. You know, the thought was there and I couldn't, I couldn't make the thought go away. My brain was completely focused on thinking about food, the cost of it, the amount of it, where I could go to get it, how I could hide my behavior from others. Doesn't that just sound like an alcoholic or a gambler, you know? Mm-hmm. An alcoholic says, I vow to stop tomorrow or Monday. Well, so does a fo- a me, someone who's overeating. Me, who was in the sugar and flour, I'd start out on a Friday night and, you know, I'd lay out all my foods before me. I'd sit on the bed and I'd pull out a channel changer. It's 10 o'clock at night. I've done, you know, work all day. I've done caregiving after work and now I'm home. I deserve to have something. And I'm watching TV and I'm eating all sorts of the nasties and I'm flipping through uh, shape magazine and health magazine and yoga magazine. Come on, what's going on there? I'm desperately wanting something, but I can't control it. So, so many Mondays came and went, you know, that I'd start all over, but I just had no power 
whatsoever. Food was my best friend. And we don't change until we bottom out. Yeah. It's very interesting. So there's this real element. What I hear you saying is there's this real element of self-soothing to mm-hmm. a food addiction, much as we see with other addictions, including shopping. Um, it's just really just, it's almost a, a perverse sense of taking care of yourself. It, and maybe the only is. way you know how at the moment. It is a total lack of coping skills. How do we cope with either a trauma that we've had or mm-hmm. these feelings of anxiety or these feelings of not good enough, whatever it might be for somebody out there in the world? You know, I was just in fear. I was paying my uh, my sister's mortgage. I was paying my own bills. I was paying her bills. My mother lived with my sister. I was living with my mother at age 41. Oh, my gosh. That alone should explain why I was eating too much ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, you know, folks who hoard or have alcohol problems, things like that, they don't see a way out. And that's the comfort that they get. Yeah. 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 I think we've all been, you know, there with some aspect of our life at some time and can relate to that. Just knowing what we need to do, knowing what the right answer is, the right choice, uh, but for some reason, we have that barrier that prevents us from uh, going in the right direction. So we have the choice not to procrastinate, for example, and just to act mm-hmm. immediately. Or we have the choice to respect ourselves and our homes and, our, and the things inside our homes. Or simply put things back where they belong or uh, bring only healthy food into the house. Um, but for some reason, there's something that often holds us back. And I'm sure you've probably experienced this in your own life as well as uh, with working with clients. And so I was curious, do you have an example of, you know, how to to maybe overcome some of that those barriers that sometimes or often we get in our own way and we create them uh, and they're not necessarily a challenge coming from the outside or environment? Yeah. Well, listen, I'm I'm scribbling your questions as you have them. So I've got a lot that I'm just making notes right here as we talk. So if you want to jump in and, you know, ask me something in between, I'll give you some thoughts. You know, I do think that you're right, Kristen, in terms of people do have the choice to respect ourselves and our stuff and Mm -hmm. where and put things back and, and eat healthy foods. And Tidying and living a healthy lifestyle does boil down to conscious choices we make. But, but what about the population of people who are living in addiction? See, I don't think that this is a conscious choice. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or what about people who have a mental illness? That that's not a conscious choice that they're kind of people who've been struck by a trauma so deep that they are temporarily not able to function or even permanently not able to function. So time and time again, I see fabulously organized people who've been suddenly traumatized. Yeah. And they, they don't have the the tools to deal with the trauma. They had the tools to be organized and make great choices at one time, but now they don't have the tools to deal with the trauma. So they begin trying to cope. And what coping skill did they learn as a child even? You know, sometimes their parents gave them, you know, sugar, flour to make them stop crying. And that's what they remember. And that little mm-hmm. amygdala in the brain says, hey, feed me flour and sugar, or sure. let's go buy her something. She'll feel better. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
So shopping, gambling, drinking, hoarding, eating, all these things. So, you know, when you ask about the barriers that we put between ourselves and the right choice, I think once we kind of realize, uh uh-oh, we're making some poor choices here, I'm 200 pounds, or my house is completely full floor to ceiling of stuff, those barriers are, number one, we blame others. Mm -hmm. It's not our fault. That's a barrier. Number two, I think we refuse to look at our own mistakes. Mm -hmm. And number three, we isolate instead of reach out for help. So I think those are some of the experiences that I see. I have thousands of clients, right? And I think that that's Mm -hmm. what I, if I ask any one of them when they're in the worst state of trauma or overeating or addiction or hoarding or just plain old cluttering too much or, you know, not managing their time well enough. Any of this applies. Um, so how do we overcome this stuff? That was your, your sort of final question. And I think the first thing, you know, in terms of blaming others as well, how about we dare to admit that we're fully responsible for everything that we own, everything we say, where we work, how we allow others to treat us. It's hard to take that responsibility, but once you stop blaming others, you can actually become aware and make some changes, right? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's, uh, were you going to say something, Karen, before I, I just jump say, on? No, no, no worries. I was just going to say that's super interesting because I really, I, I get the sense what you're saying is, is that, that, and we hear this a lot in, in, in addiction recovery, this idea that, that, that hoarding or buying or shopping and, and not being able to to see that for what it is is not necess- is not necessarily the issue. It's more of a symptom of the issue, mm-hmm. or the symptom of the problem. Exactly, exactly. And you know, most of the folks who have extreme clutter, or they're overcommitted. It's never their fault, you see. They they just don't want to take on the, you know, it, it's it's always somebody else's fault. You know, my son's school always asks me and I, you know, I, they, they just won't stop asking me. And so I'm always there and I never get to do this stuff for myself and I don't have time to clean up and I never have enough time and I'm always overeating. And if my son's school would stop calling me, right. <laughs> Right. So we want to stop blaming others. Uh, The second thing I said was refusing to look at our mistakes. That's the barrier. So how do we overcome that? Well, I think for those who think they might have an addiction, I'm I'm a person who believes in 12 step programs. So one of the 12 steps is to take a what's called a fearless and searching moral inventory of yourself. And I have in the back of my book a list of something like 37 different 12-step groups. Everything from being codependent on another person to Clutters Anonymous to, you know, you name it. There's something for pot. There's something for being a workaholic. There's something for just about every different area of life in which we are in excess So you might just check out in the back of the book. You'll see those listed there. Now, maybe you don't have an addiction, right? So, well, what then? Um, There are lots of adult transformational workshops. I happen to know of Landmark Education. I also Mm -hmm. talk about Mm -hmm. that in my book. And that's where you can learn how to 
look at your own mistakes, do your own self inventory and look at how you can shift the areas where you're weaker and share the strengths that you do have. So there are lots of different ways, even just Googling adult transformation sure. uh, or, or how do I overcome my mistakes or how do I take responsibility for my life? Just that little step brings you way forward. Mm-hmm. Wow. And um, then for the third one, in terms of isolating, I just have a quick summary here, but in both ideas, whether it's trying a 12-step program or, or going to um, a transformational workshop or course for, for adults, in both those places, you will find yourself in a group of like-minded people. And by being with a group of people, even though you might want to roll your eyes because you don't like it, <laughs> it gets you out of the isolation because most people who are obese tend to eat in isolation. Most people who mm -hmm. hoard tend to do things in the dark by night mm -hmm. when no one's looking. So, you know, when the gambling happens, you know, it people don't know the money that's being spent out of the accounts. So anyway, those are my suggestions for how to overcome the barriers that, that I spoke about. I hear a lot of, of the 12 step program in what you're saying. Um, and I, I, it's so interesting to hear, I'm nodding right along with everything you're saying. Um, you were just speaking about this idea of, uh, the, the fearless moral inventory for step, if I remember correctly. Yes. Um, and, uh, I'm interested in, in, you were talking, you talk about this idea of confronting clutter by beginning um, to write down what you think your clutter is saying about you, which seems to be kind of a very fourth step oriented. Can you talk <laughs> a little bit, can you talk a little bit about what that process looks like or how, how would someone begin to do that? Recognizing, of course, there's other steps before that, but that's kind of the, the process of, of being able to take a look head on, yes. as you said, bringing some of that out, out of the dark. Yeah, I think this process of, you know, trying to ask your clutter what it's saying about you, doesn't that sound kind of kooky? Sounds really silly, like your clutter can talk. But <laughs> on the other hand, it is saying so much. Uh, both of you are very able organizers and, you know, amazing women in the KonMari process and the method. So I know that you can walk into a room and you can kind of see things that are going on that are maybe not so obvious to the person who's uh, the clutter bug, who's got all that clutter. So what I'm suggesting is if you have a lot of clutter, extreme clutter, if you hoard, whatever it is, I want you to think about standing in the middle of your clutter or near it and simply ask yourself, what is really going on here? And then, wait a second, listen, mm. listen. So you don't just ask the question and say, oh my gosh, what's going on here? I need to, mm -hmm. no, 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 no. What is really going on here? Take a few, what, 30 seconds and wait for an answer. And then ask yourself, why are there stale carrots or slices of pizza in a box on the floor? Why are there unopened boxes from my move four years ago? I want you to sit there or stand there long enough to get an answer. That's the part we don't wait for. We might ask it, but we don't wait for the answer. Well, well, it's really not the clutter talking to us. It's ourselves. And those answers do come. 
So the key is to ask the question. So your first response to those, let's just take the pizza slices on the floor in the box, right? Uh You might say, well, yeah, sure. I know the answer is I'm lazy, but that's not it. So, you know, there's um, a a fabulous author and and master, uh, Byron Katie, you know, she does, you know, what's called the work and it's just this questioning method. So you want to do what she does. Um, you want to keep going. Well, that's not it. It's not that you're lazy. Keep going. Why do you think you were lazy? Well, okay, let's, let's pretend I'm answering the question. I spent all day caregiving for my mom. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not really it. Keep going. Keep digging. What, what is it that the old pizza slices in a box have to do with caregiving for my mom? By continuing to ask those questions, you might learn that you find that you have no time for your own self-care. And see, Karen, you mentioned that. So you have no time for your own self-care and you're too afraid to ask your siblings for help with caregiving for mom. And suddenly, you're learning about your clutter by just standing in it and asking the questions. And those answers can help you get out of the pain. I'll give you... One other quick example, you know, I walk into a client's home and she says, I I need to organize my home and let me show you around. And so I start in and I just observe and she shows me that in the closet, there's, oh, at least a fourth or half of the closet full of men's business suits, t-shirts, pants, tennis shoes. I say nothing. I say, tell me about that. She says, oh, that's my ex-husband. Ah, okay. Uh, Then we go on into the bathroom. You already can see where this is going, right, ladies? Yes. Yeah. We go into the bathroom. uh, She shows me half of it's two sinks, you know, his and her sink. Hers Mm -hmm. is full of her, you know, fancy powders and uh, lotions and everything else. And then I say, well, tell me what's on that side. Oh, I see. What I see is a men's shaver, a, you know, a dark, longer black comb that is typically for a man, you know, all these men's toiletries. Tell me about this. Oh, that's from my ex-husband. All I'm doing as the organizer is asking the question. And that is something that if you, for example, could never afford an organizer, you could do this for yourself. So what do we learn? by me just asking these questions. So how long has his stuff been here? Nine years. Mm. I see. (laughs) And how long has it been that you've been gaining weight? Nine years. (laughs) And how long has it been since the clutter has been building up? What's your answer, ladies? (laughs) Nine years. years. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Can we see a correlation here? Yes. The clutter is saying something. And so the recommendation I would make as an organizer is say, look, I think we need to clear this space of that relationship so that you can get on with either a bigger, better relationship with yourself or a new one, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the point. Your clutter can give you some answers. Wow, that's so awesome. Thank you for sharing that because uh, you've really helped uh, those who are listening make that connection between not only asking what our clutter is saying about us, but okay, now that we understand that, we can shift that into like, what's the vision moving forward? How can we 
um, you know, going back to that discussion around breaking those barriers, how can we course correct moving forward so yeah. that we can make true change? So, and that's what we here, you know, at Spark Door are all about. And Karen and I, you know, tr- practicing Kudmari, that's that's kind of the first step, which is recognizing ideal lifestyle and ideal living mm-hmm. environment. And those, I think, I, I know for me, I constantly collect uh, questions that I hear people in all different industries ask their clients. Um, about their life, you know, or or their clutter situation, uh, because I think we can go out it from so many different directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, even the most basic question, why, can tell us so much. Mm-hmm. So thank you for drawing that really clear example um, of kind of the connection between the stuff and, and what it's saying about our lives. Uh, so Dorothy, before we let you go, we definitely want to talk about A&E Hoarder. So we're going to shift gears just a little bit. Uh, the show right now it's in its ninth season and each season uh, for sure is more shocking than the next. And I know I'm a big (laughs) fan of the show. Uh, And uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan and I'm really fascinated by, by how much the show has taught you, you know, about yourself. So you're constantly learning from your clients. And I know in your book, you mentioned that you attribute your success, uh, uh, in releasing over 30, 75 pounds of body clutter uh, to just working on the show. can you, So can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for being a fan of the show. I'm a fan <laughs> of you too. So, <laughs> um, but what I can tell you is, you know, if everybody around you is telling you there's something wrong, yeah. whether it's on the hoarder show uh, they're telling all of uh, everyone, all family members are telling the person who hoards there's something wrong. You know, you've got to stop. You've got to take a look at it. Uh, or what about the obese person who's overeating? You've got a husband or wife and family members, kids who are saying, mom, dad, don't eat that. Oh, stop. You know, or your doctor. What, what is it? Everyone around you is telling you there's something wrong. And yet we think there's nothing wrong. So mm-hmm. that's the first thing I really saw for myself. Because here I am working with all these folks on the Hoarders show, everybody's saying there's something wrong. Sure. Your house is collapsing. You know, you've got roaches. You, this isn't working. You've got to do something. And the person's in total denial. Yeah. Or in my case, here I am, a very successful uh, business person and loving organizing but but overeating and my mom and my sister are saying, oh, you shouldn't eat those cookies, that ice cream. And my doctor says, Dorothy, you're obese. You've got to lose weight, you know, and I feel it when I'm with people that I'm feeling less than because I have too much weight. And yet I kept doing it anyway. So I saw that that was the lesson. I saw it in my clients that they wouldn't take the advice they wouldn't sure. listen to the questions and the worries and concerns around them. So that was one. And the other thing that I found out was whenever I worked with people on the hoarder show, one of the things, especially when it came to children, that when a parent apologized, not to just the young children, but even the adult children, for how they had raised them mm-hmm. in these subpar conditions apologies suddenly created the path for them to clear all that crap out of their house. It was like, you need a path? Here's the path. This is the path right out to the truck where we're going to load it and either put it on a a truck to be giving away or thrown away. 
And the same started happening for me. And I, I cross back over to Karen on the whole addiction thing. Those 12 steps that we talk about, one of the steps is making amends or apologies. I didn't even know that that's what we were doing on the show at the time. But then when I joined a 12-step program, I had to do it for my own well-being. And I suddenly saw that correlation. So the show taught it to me and 12 Steps taught it to me. But apologizing is one way to clear the path to the clutter or the overwhelm or the overweight in your life. Wow. Yeah. We also um, talk about that a lot in our KonMari practice about uh, just having compassion for the things that you own or the appreciation that your basic needs are met as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes Mm -hmm. that's important. Like gratitude is one of the key principles since KonMari is really a Zen-based principle and based on that culture, that Japanese-based culture, it's all about honor and and respect and gratitude. Uh, so I, I love that you mentioned that simply by saying I'm sorry, you know, can just change the game so much. Uh, and right? yeah, and I've, I've definitely, I mean, I think I've probably watched almost every episode of Warriors. <laughs> so uh, I definitely feel like I've noticed some common characteristics between your hoarding clients. But I, you know, I often don't, don't necessarily feel like I'm qualified or, or comfortable with um, making the decision now that I'm a professional organizer that, you know, maybe this person is a, a hoarder uh, making that professional diagnosis. So sometimes, I, you know, there might be a situation where things extend beyond just simply asking the question, does it spark joy? You know, a, a true hoarder uh, may need additional assistance, whether that might need uh, a mental health professional or a uh, someone who is uh, naturally has experience with ec- extreme uh, hoarding situations. So I'm really curious from your perspective, how does someone actually formally identify someone as a hoarder? Are there some common characteristics or traits that someone should look out for? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I... I kind of want to say something a little funny because, you know, the stuff is serious and people who hoard really have some serious issues, Um, (laughs) not just with the stuff, but, you know, they're they're often having to fight a lot of, you know, things like uh, bills that are late. And I'll go into all of what I think are some of those indicators. But mm-hmm. I, I, I did take a moment while you were <laughs> asking me this question just to think about, you know, I love Marie Kondo, right? Mm-hmm. She is absolutely tops. And one of the questions that I get all the time as an organizer is, you know, oh, do you know that Spark Joy lady? Of course I do. <laughs> and, you know, I can just imagine, even though I have, most of my clients are not people who hoard, but just what if I asked that question, does it spark joy to someone who hoards? And this is where we get a few of the giggles. <laughs> like if I ask the woman, you know, who had her ex-husband's clothes in her closet for the last <laughs> nine years, I, you know, does that spark joy for you, right? Yeah. Um, she's going to roll her eyes. Oh, my gosh. Or what about, <laughs> you know, a man who's hoarding scrap metal in his barn? Right. You know, yeah, it'll spark joy when I sell it and make some money, but no one's touching it until I do that. And, of course, that <laughs> never happens. Right. Um, or, you know, of course this sparks joy. You know, I've got 80,000 books. I love all of them. You know, don't even think of coming in here to help me get rid of them. So 
how a person uh, might respond to the does it spark joy question <laughs> if they hoard might be quite a different experience. I think we've got two different audiences here, right? Sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but how do you identify someone who, who hoards? You know, the, here are some clues or indicators. The biggest one being you're never invited into the home. Or if mm-hmm. you are, over time, it's becoming less and less, and then it's becoming uh, less of the home, or you're not allowed to spend the night anymore like you used to, uh, or you know, suddenly you look around and you don't feel it's safe to bring your grandkids or even your kids over because you don't see anywhere for them to play on the floor. So that's the mm-hmm. biggest indicator. You're just never really invited into their home. Even a friend who thinks that they may know someone who hoards, if the person constantly says, I'll meet you there or you can pick me up, but they never get invited all the way in, those are the clues. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you're dating uh, and the guy or the gal says, oh, you can pick me up or let's go to your place. And they never have, it's, it's not equal balance coming to your place and their place. It's all one place, not the other. That's a clue. So that's one. Others are things like bills are paid late. Major appliances are in disrepair. Floods have occurred in the home. Now, you don't have to hear, see this. You just have to listen to the person talking. If a flood has occurred more than two or three times, It's usually because they aren't getting the pipes fixed. They're just Mickey mousing it to keep it together with some duct tape because they're too Mm -hmm. fearful to have someone come in and repair because there's too much stuff, Mm -hmm. right? The same goes for electrical not working. Uh, Folks tend to buy in multiples if they hoard. They tend to buy or pick things up for others all the time, but never really get them to the people they intend. Uh, Oftentimes, but not always, good hygiene seems to be missing. These folks seem to eat a lot of fast food or microwavable foods because the appliances are not working and maybe they can only just find a good plug for the microwave. Mm-hmm. Um, these folks often mention various collections, always projects that they intend to do, but you never see it come to fruition. And of course, um, people who have a buildup of trash or rodents or large items outside the home is a huge indicator. And then finally, if you see sheets on the window or foil in the window or a garage door that never opens, or an odor emanating from the home, or even the individual. Those are some of the major clues. And I'm, I'm thinking of so many parallels um, to, you know, some of the work that I did earlier in my career. And um, the, the concept of denial a lot of times comes up in, in what I hear you saying. Um, and just uh, tying back into some of the KonMari concepts of, um, of recognizing when, um, um, you know, we, we do this work to understand why we are the way we are, or how we got mm. to this point. And then this, um, not only um, acknowledging it, but also looking toward the future and saying, um, what, what is the purpose that this, these things are, are, what is the purpose that they're serving in my life right now? Yeah. And is that what I want to see in the future? So there's, there's at some point, you know, the hitting bottom idea in, in, in um, the 12 step program, again, it's at some point, um, um, most of our clients have gotten to a place, whether it's a high point or a low point, that is bottom for them. 
And for some people, it's, um, you know, the extremes of some of the people that you've worked with on the show. Um, it's so interesting that um, this idea that, that hoarders can often be perfectionist. And the way that I've seen this exhibit um, is um, sometimes uh, hoarders can be, can consider themselves to be collectors and they have huge amounts of a particular kind of item. And in their minds, they see this as a collection as opposed to having clutter. Um, and it's interesting because we think of, of people that are perfectionists or collectors as being very, you know, obsessively neat and tidy with their, their items. But then we don't see that exhibited in a, in a hoarder's home. Can you talk a little bit about this idea, this connection between perfectionism and hoarding? Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of the people who hoard do have that perfectionist trait. And uh, <laughs> it, it sounds so funny, but, you know, if I'm going in to work with someone and I'll say, tell me about this pile and they'll say, don't, 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 don't touch that. It's, it's perfect. It's perfect. I know exactly where everything is. It's a pile, right? It's it, You would not know that there is any order to it, but there is. Um, mm -hmm. First of all, I, what I want to say is often OCD, which is obsessive compulsive disorder, is associated with hoarding. And many folks who have OCD have an extraordinary need to have things in a particular order or do mm -hmm. repetitive behaviors, right? So the precise and particular ordering of paperwork, clothes, jewelry, food, even how the holidays occur can be overwhelming over time. So mm -hmm. what happens is I will have a client who used to be very, very organized. And this is not a hoarding client, all right? This is just a regular person who has suddenly realized she's in complete overwhelm or he's in complete chaos with a lot of clutter. Well, what happened? Well, I don't know. I mean, I used to keep all of my contacts in my phone. It was perfect. Everything was always in there. Now I've got piles of cards stacked up. I, I always used to hang up my clothes. Now I, I gained weight and I, you know, I've got all these mm -hmm. different sizes, so I don't hang them up anymore. Can you already start to see what happens is technology comes in and we have a Palm Pilot one decade, a cell phone another decade, uh, laptops a different decade. And so we're entering the business cards indifferently over the years and we can't keep up with all that technology because that person's such a perfectionist. Now, mm -hmm. they're not just a perfectionist in one area, they're also a perfectionist in another. So if they start gaining weight because they're feeling so frustrated, how do they keep track of all the different, you know, sizes of clothes in their closet? And it, it's all too much to handle. And then suddenly they have a child and no, there's a new, new human being in their lives and it takes all their time. Now they're not dealing with the business cards or the closet. And you can see how that perfectionist who used to have perfectly uh, filed uh, paperwork in color-coded files in a drawer has piles and piles of paperwork. They don't know how it happened, but I do. I bet you do too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Well, yeah. One of the things that, that, that the hoarders is really famous for is being very fearless when it comes to um, the work that you're doing. And in fact, it, uh, sometimes you've even spent the night in the homes of the, of the <laughs> folks that you've worked with. 
What was that experience like? Yeah, you try that one, okay? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's it's hard enough to be in a home that's hoarded and it's full of odor and bugs and mold and to be there during the day. Right. Now, yes, let's go there at night. <laughs> and it's it's especially unnerving. I've got to tell you, you know, I have experienced rats and mice busily building their nests while I'm, you know, I'm not sleeping. There's no way in heck I'm sleeping. Um, I'm observing what the person, the hoarder is doing. And usually they're very mm-hmm. busy at night, but they don't have electricity. So they're working by flashlight or some sort of, you know, battery operated lamp. But I'm hearing the rats and the and the, the mice. I, I'm seeing raccoons come in to hunt for food into the kitchen. One time all the way into a bedroom. Not mine, wow. thank you. But they're coming in. But here's the worst of it. I'm also seeing and hearing kids with asthma trying to sleep mm-hmm. amongst the dust and the filth and the mold. And they're mm-hmm. wheezing. And mom and dad or just mom or one parent, you know, they are not seeing it. And the kid is suffering. And really, there is absolutely everything that can be done to help the child. So, I, you know, it, it's, it's lousy. Being in a hoarded condition day or night, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard for the family. It's hard for us who do the work. That's why it's so expensive. Uh, people, want, people often want such amazing service when it comes to hoarding, but it is very expensive because we're putting our lives on the line. It's a respiratory respiratory nightmare. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's so interesting. The show really opens, you know, the door to showing things that are, or activities that are often hidden for so long. It's exposing uh, how people are operating behind closed doors and, uh, There are some success stories. I mean, obviously, uh, that experience was was probably uh, truly shocking, uh, and I can't imagine um, spending spending a night in a hoarding home. But there are some situations on the show where where people really do change, and they they always kind of mention it at the tail end, um, and that little you know, uh, the type that comes up and says, you know, this person mm-hmm. is doing well and they maintain their uh, clutter-free lifestyle. But, and they, they often mention that aftercare and that's the one aspect of the show I think that the viewer doesn't often get to see or is it uh, showcased. So I'm really curious what happens uh, in aftercare. What what does that really entail? And and now that today we're talking about, you know, the relationship of between food and clutter, I, I almost imagine it is it being sort of similar to like uh, a food addiction maintenance plan. Like, okay, so I've lost the weight. Now what? You know, or I've released the clutter. Right? Now what? You know, so what is that see, now what? <laughs> you So so here's, here's what's perfect about this uh, particular podcast. You've learned it. Yeah. You now know it. You know, <laughs> you already get it that it's quite similar. It's just like dieting. It's just like fitness. You know, you have to have a plan in place, a maintenance plan in place, or if you don't have the inspiration to do it yourself, you definitely have to find someone who can. Now, in terms of the show, we always provided free ongoing therapy or organizing services for the person, not infinitely, but for a period of time. Now, just based on what we've been talking about, do you think most of the people wanted the help 
or didn't want the help? Well, what I've heard from a organizer in the business, when I asked her, what do I do with a hoarder? She said, you're not, hoarders are not going to find you. They're not going to reach out to you. Their family will, you know, they are okay with their situation. So I imagine it's more the family who probably would push for aftercare uh, than the client in most cases. Right. And oftentimes when given the choice, the person who hoards does not really think they need any therapy. Thank you very much. (laughs) And maybe they might take some organizing because they view organizers as less threatening than a therapist because there's nothing wrong Mm -hmm. with them. Okay. So um, on the show, we, we do and have followed up with people. And for those who actually took the help, there was improvement. For those who said no, you can imagine how quickly it went back to exactly how it was before. Sure. Wow. Yeah. So this has been really very enlightening. And I'm sure that we have um, some listeners who either may be suffering themselves from hoarding behaviors or more likely, as you were just saying, um, they have family members who are exhibiting these kind of patterns that are destructive what would you say as far as turning for help for folks like that? Yeah. Um, yeah. This is a place where I, I feel obligated to mention my website. So folks should go to DorothyTheOrganizer.com because on that page is an entire, sorry, on that website is an entire page of hoarding resources, books, videos, groups like Children of Hoarders, um, compulsive and hoarding workbooks, um, forgiveness books, overcoming compulsive hoarding, all sorts of different tools and resources are listed on the website. And I also have a virtual social therapy group for hoarders. So if they go to DorothyTheOrganizer.com and click on a hoarders page, they can scroll down and there's a little blue bar that says it's free. You can join and get help, support, anything you need from this virtual social uh, therapy group for hoarders. And um, I have brought in one of our Dorothy the Organizer partners. Her name is Dr. Regina Clark. Sorry, Dr. Regina Lark. And she actually is helping all of those hoarders answering questions and I drop in now and then. So that's an ideal place and it costs nothing. Right. Well, we'll be sure to have that in the show notes for, for folks to follow up yeah, with. Yeah, that's an awesome resource. Well, Dorothy, we, we, we don't want to um, leave you today without asking you, you know, what is your favorite tidying tip? I know we're talking a lot about hoarding, but that's only a small aspect of, of what you do as a professional. So we'll just loop it back to what is your favorite tidying tip of the moment? Favorite tidying tip, I would say, is left to right, top to bottom. Mm. Whether you're working in a drawer, a cabinet, a closet, a desk, or a garage, I want you to start on the left and move to the right. And as you move, go from top to bottom. That way you always know where you leave off if you stop and you know where to start because you can see, oh, this little portion of the desk is already clean. I left off here. So there's a clear demarcation line of where to start and stop. And it's it's just simple and easy to remember. 
That's so great. I, mean, I imagine that also might apply to cleaning as well. <laughs> you think about it. <laughs> so we got two tips in one. Um, exactly. <laughs> well, our last question for you today is at this bo- very moment, what sparks the most joy in your life? Oh, yeah. You know, I, I've had a lot of family members and friends who have not been well. So I, I kept wondering, how is it that I can be, what can I do so that I'm not feeling so guilty that I have good health right now while I'm in the face of, like, my sister has brain cancer. Darn it. Oh, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm finding what sparks joy for me is surprises for friends, family, and strangers. So, um, you know, with it's my sister, I will fly in and uh, surprise her and then take her to her radiation for a week. Or my friend who was um, hospitalized, I spent three days. My business is really mobile, so I could just pick up and go there. And I had my laptop in the hospital, and I took my calls, and I worked right from her hospital room. Um, I give away free life coaching sessions for people in need uh, or, or entrepreneurs who want to make a difference. And um, one time I went to, I think it was uh, Kmart. And I paid off somebody's uh, layaway plan for the kids' uh, toys around the holidays. So wow. these, what I, I just call them surprises for friends and family and strangers. That's so great. Yeah. So tell us, what are your final tidying words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our listeners today? Mm, words of wisdom. Okay. Well, um, what I might say, Karen, is uh, even if you feel sure that you're right, never assume that you know what's best for another in terms of their stuff. Simply rearranging somebody's stuff or worse yet, getting rid of it without their permission truly breaks the bonds of trust, especially with children. So that could even be applied to life, but I'll just keep it to stuff right now. Yeah, that. that's beautiful. Right. And yeah. I'm sure Marie Kondo would love that as well. <laughs> she, yes. she definitely agrees with you on that point, too. Oh, good. Well, Dorothy, thank you so much for joining us here at Spark Joy. We had so much fun talking to you, and it was just a great experience having you here. And we thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. And to connect with Dorothy, you can visit her website, DorothyTheOrganizer.com, for free tips videos, newsletters, organizing resources for your life, home, office, and relationships. Be sure to check out her book, Stuff Your Face or Face Your Stuff, via her website or Amazon. And check out her hit show, Hoarders, on A&E. Dorothy is also offering Spark Joy listeners some really great goodies. A free guide on how to banish clutter creatively. A free cancer concierge ebook that can help you learn how to organize yourself and your life in the face of a cancer diagnosis. And both will be available at DorothyTheOrganizer.com and, of course, in our show notes. So now we want to hear from you. Tell us your burning, tidying questions or share stories about how Kanmari has impacted your life. You can find us at SparkJoyPodcast.com and click Ask Spark Joy to leave a question or comment for the chance to be featured on next week's show. You can also join the discussion on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the handle at SparkJoyPodcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope your day sparks joy.
Thank you for listening to Spark Joy with your host, Kristen Ivey of For the Love of Tidy in Chicago and Karen Sochi of The Serene Home in New York City. Spark Joy, the podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Conmari Media Incorporated. The opinions expressed on this episode represent the views of the co-hosts and guests alone and do not represent the corporate position of Conmari Media Incorporated or the Conmari Consultant Community.